0: For great ideas and practical tools you can start using tomorrow to grow your business and separate you from the competition, you've come to the right place if you're into b2b marketing and sales then welcome to the one and only b2b marketing and sales podcast with over 60 and counting total years in the trenches of businesses small and large they have a plethora of knowledge and experience that generate you more leads capture more clients ring up more sales well doggone it just make you more money how about that Always thought-provoking, yet dubiously entertaining. Please welcome to their respective microphones across three time zones, your co-ringmasters, the Dave Loomis and not the rock star, Steve Miller.
1: Hey, everybody. This is Dave Loomis, without my sidekick, Steve Miller, not the rock star, uh, who's also goes by Kelly's dad and Mark and Gunslinger. So... We do not have Steve with us today, but we do have an amazing guest who uh, couldn't be more tailor-made for what we're doing here, which is the B2B Marketing and Sales Podcast. Um, And our guest is Mike McCallie, and uh, I will give a very brief intro uh, to Mike, who I've known for quite some time, um, just kind of being in and around the industry for many years. Um, Currently, Mike is uh, founder leader of the Vertical Solution. Um, If you look at LinkedIn, it says fractional chief growth officer and consultant. Um, So we can explore that a little bit. But if you just look, Steve's experience is incredible uh being chief revenue officer at at several places marketing sales uh right now the focus is on private equity private public companies b2b SaaS companies services manufacturers this is like the world of b2b that i operate in as well from a voice of customer standpoint um but just a couple things that steve that uh yes that mike has done um Product manager at Ingersoll Rand. These are things that I, I would love to talk about, all these things. Um, VPGM at Crane. Um, CMO at GE. Little company that you all might have heard of. Um, VP marketing and product management, FlowServe. Um, so these are all, you know, these are B2B companies right in our wheelhouse of what we uh, talk about on this show. And you also have a new podcast, uh, which is, I think, called The Vertical Podcast. Is that correct? It's Get Vertical, but yes. Get Vertical. Get Vertical. Yes. Sorry. The Get Vertical Podcast. Well, that's a good thing for us to kick kick us off because um, welcome. Thank you. Uh, It's good to be here. (laughs) Thank you for taking time to join us and talk to everybody about our favorite topic, uh, so, The Vertical Solution is the name of your firm, and also the podcast is called Get Vertical. Can you tell us about what, a few guesses about what that might refer to, but tell tell us what that means to you.
2: Yeah, it's it's a multi-meaning piece, but what I found is, as I was serving and working with different businesses, and both as an employee and then as uh, a consultant or a service provider and whatnot, it was essentially, everybody's about growth, right? And and the way to growth was serving different industries or verticals, right? And in order uh, to dri- drive growth, you've got to, there's two things that you have to do. You've got to sink deep roots. And that means you've got to be tied in closely with those customers, what the customer experience is, what they're trying to do, what the outcomes are that they're looking for, Um, And then filling those gaps from a jobs to be done perspective. Uh, And so essentially it was all about getting into that vertical and driving growth in that vertical. Um, And so a little bit of a double play there. And then
1: that's, that's the play. That is, that's great. Um, I, I think we've talked Recently, I've got a couple projects where I'm helping B2B companies set up industry-based segmentation, in other words, (laughs) verticals, uh, where, you know, the the reality is there's a lot of people listening out there right now that work at B2B companies, and um, whether you actually have defined and, and, um, I guess, um, intentionally market to those verticals per se whether you do that or not you have ver- <laughs> you have verticals that you sell to um by definition
2: yeah a- absolutely and the, the other piece of it right is uh, the way i look at things is it's all about growth and um whether that is business growth or personal and professional growth and it's you know because the cliche is right if you're not growing you're dying right or shrinking and mm-hmm. and so it's all right. Well, how do we drive growth? And, and growth is about going vertical. Now, the reality of it is, as you know, it's there's nothing that's straight up and down. There's nothing that's purely diagonal. Right? It's it's messy. But the goal is to keep going up.
1: And um, sometimes, yeah, absolutely, is there a limit to the number of verticals that a, that a, that a, a company should pursue in your experience? Um, is there something to focus or just you know,' basically just segment up the whole market into all the verticals, and hey, we should try and go after them all. What's your f- sense of that? Be great at what you do. If you can be great at it,
2: then you can do it, right? And what I've found over time is people will dilute their focus, trying to be everything to everybody. And my encouragement is, you know, I think that the phrase of the day is to niche down or niche down, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so get get really focused in it. Some people call them micro segments or hyper segments or down to you know an ICP or ideal customer profile, right? Things like that. You've got to be able to get very, very specific about it. And if you can serve that and serve that well, then absolutely. There are some things that translate across multiple verticals. Great if you can do that. As long as you're doing it excellently,
1: mm-hmm. and your
2: customers are deriving value out of it, that's fantastic. Most of the time, what I found is we find our we find our capabilities by going one step too far,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's not always the end of the world. I mean, how do you know your limit unless you try and you know try and reach it? Yeah. I mean, um,
2: I think Mario Andretti had a, you know, a great saying along those lines is
1: you don't know how fast you can go until you go too fast. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't make that turn. Well, you know, next time I'm not going to go quite as fast around that turn. That's right. So
2: I, I'm a, I'm a fan of, of find, find your boundaries. Right. And, um, And just also embrace your culture, which is there's some cultures that are really conservative and they're like, I don't ever want to know what that, that boundary is. I'm going to just do what I do and do it extremely well. Mm -hmm. And others are like, no, we're going to go push the edges and we're going to expand. And when we, when we come up short, we're going to find out what we did wrong. And we're going to shore that up and we're going to keep going forward and keep pushing the boundaries. Mm -hmm. We're going to be pioneers. Mm -hmm. It's great. Lean into your culture.
1: Did you ever find like a situation in one of those, you know, sort of leadership sales and marketing leadership positions in a B2B company? If you think back on those, where maybe the CEO uh, was maybe a little bit addicted to um, a cash cow or really did want to be all things to all people, and you actually had to successfully convince them. To narrow the focus, which meant giving up something to get, the power of that focus, so did that ever happen? and if so, like how did you actually like convince leadership that it was worth doing that?
2: Yeah, I'm debating on how transparent to be here um, <laughs> it's here's here's what I would say is. Most CEOs get to be CEO because they're extremely talented in a variety of ways. And most of them in large corporations aren't just talented. They're very smart. And I, I think it's important to recognize that. Uh, so there also there's also a hubristic element that exists in all of us that sometimes manifests itself in certain ways with, with business leaders that success begets success until it doesn't. And so there's a a power of belief that they are right. Like, I think one of the the biggest fun, fun statements that Mm. you hear over time is so-and-so always thinks they're right. Well, I would hope they do think they're right. Otherwise, if they know they're wrong and they're doing it, that's kind of stupid, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. And also, you know, CEOs get to where they are by being decisive. We, we all know that. Uh, and there are people that have had that distortion, real, the reality distortion field, like Steve Jobs, who people thought was, was wrong or crazy or whatever, but he was right in the in the long run and he had a vision of something that he wouldn't let go of and thank god for all of us because you know we've got incredible products and in progress because of that. Um so given that hubris that you mentioned and and that CEO and that sort of like you know heel digging in or whatever have you like actually successfully gotten somebody a little bit to, to focus more than they maybe would have otherwise? Yeah. So what I found uh the quick way to not
2: answer your question is uh, <laughs> that is yeah, but typically the way we like to go about doing that is it's a data driven conversation and it's, where does the data take us, and then you you get to find out, um, you know what what do the customers want, and and where where are these elements at? So, a quick for instance, we had I was in a I don't know a two billion dollar standalone business, and it was we had a anemic pipeline of new products. And then we supercharged it. When we supercharged it with all of these different new products, it went through the, the traditional elements of things where you end up with pet projects by, and it didn't matter if they were GMs or presidents or mm-hmm. the CEO or whatever, right? There's there's a variety of different things it's like, oh, we want this and we want that. Um, and then you, you, because I believe it's easier to steer a moving ship, right? To a certain extent, you want to get that new product, Capability up and going, and then refine it. And so, what we did was we started going back and saying, Okay, where do we have market research supporting these initiatives, and where do we not? And I'll mm-hmm. never forget we'd gone in and, and looked across, I mean, it was hundreds of, of new products that were in the pipeline, and we're like, Okay, which ones have research behind them, and which ones don't? Which one have VOC, right? Which is near and dear to your heart, which ones have, you know, secondary market research, primary market research, you know, focus groups, all the different types of things. But our litmus test was, is there any market research? And then the double click was what type, right? And we put together a chart and we're looking at it like, okay, well, how much capital and how much operating expense will each new product require? And it was this double stack bar chart, And then it was how much market research had been done to it. And we established a correlation, right? And I went in and I met with the CEO and put this chart up there. And it was designed to be visually intuitive, right? So you could quickly find where there were gaps in research to support an initiative. And there was one product that stood out and it had millions of dollars that was being spent against it. Mm -hmm. And there was no research, none behind it. And he... You looked at that chart and all of a sudden, I mean, incredible. I mean, wallpaper started curling off the wall, right? Um yeah, from- it was
1: just so obvious. Yeah. You, you didn't you didn't like go to him and say, hey, by the way, I've got a problem. We shouldn't be pursuing this. You just sort of let the data speak for itself.
2: Yeah. And he looked at it and was like, who? signed off on this, you know, and did this this, this and he said why are we spending I, it was like 5 million dollars on this initiative. This makes no sense and I was I looked at him and I said, "Well, hey, timeout. We're looking at this data for the first time." And he was like, "Yeah." I said, "But that's I said, he was like, "Who signed off?" And I said, "You did." Right? <laughs> and he was like and, and it was this really cool sobering moment where all of a sudden he was like, "Fine." He said, "I want you to bring that into the staff meeting." We're going to show this to our P&L leads, and we're going to go through this. I want to review these, blah, 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 blah. And he said, and nah, I'll own it. And to his credit, and this was the beautiful thing. This was where he was such a great leader. He, he, he led off with this project. He said, I signed off on this, and I never should have. And he said, and none of us will sign off on these initiatives again until we have mm. adequate research to support what we're trying yeah. to do. Does that make sense? Other,
1: yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Great example. The other thing that I've found in, in the, the data realm is even just running numbers uh, in, in certain ways um, by different vertical segments to show others, decision makers, everybody, um, where most of our revenue comes from. And then the concentration of it, and usually yeah. it's an 80-20 rule. And then of those, where are we making our money? And, yeah. you know, there's always like, yes, uh, um, sort of beliefs inside a company about things. But until those numbers are like staring you in the face, uh, it's, you know, it, it's, it's hard to make decisions on them, but sometimes, when you see them so starkly like that, you're like, "You know what? We have limited resources, limited time, et cetera. Shouldn't we be going after what we're really, really good at? and yeah. going after this this part of the market? and you know maybe maybe we can't we can't say like it's hard to get people to say, no, we'll never sell to this segment if it comes over the transom, but it's but you can get people to say, yeah, we won't spend our time and market in, in our our dollars targeting those to the same extent that we're going to target these others.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, I I think that's spot on. And I think the the other piece of it that's that's interesting, right? Is I think there are there are business leaders that have a specific bent, right? And you've got to know what your bent is. And a lot of times there's also blind spots that that we all have. And we've got to know that. This was something that early in my career, post-MBA academic theory, right, in, in getting into application, all of a sudden I realized I was in a role and I had an individual on my team, probably one of the smartest guys I ever had a chance to work with. I mean, just off the charts, brilliant IQ could do incredible things, but he freaked out over making a decision, like literally like would get experience extreme anxiety over things. And he had been taught his entire life and his career that, Oh, you need to be a GM and you need to be a president. And these are your things. And as I was working with him, all of a sudden I realized it's like, man, this is, that's not your giftings. As a matter of fact, if you go that path, you're you're going to to stress out. And so that was pretty clear and obvious, but the other aha moment that came out of it was like, if you apply a BCG approach to business for your products, you should also do the same and match those up to the leaders with those bends.
1: Say, say more about that. What would be the matrix that's in your head when you say that, and then how you apply it then to a
2: Yeah. So there, there are people that have an abundance mindset and a growth mindset, and there are people that have a scarcity mindset or a harvest mindset
1: Mm -hmm. and,
2: and just a natural intuitive belief. And if you put somebody that has a natural scarcity mindset and harvest mindset in charge of a growth initiative, it really struggles. It really, mm-hmm. now there's times that they need exposure for that, but that individual by definition puts a cap on it because everything they're looking at is from a cost perspective, not from an ROI perspective or from an opportunity perspective.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Likewise, if you put somebody with a growth mindset in charge of a harvest, cleanup, cash cow initiative, they go bonkers,
1: right? They can't, they, yeah, it's just, they, they can't handle it. It's like, they want to do something instead of just sort of just harvest. Yeah.
2: Right. And, and, and their, their leaders are like, no, just squeeze this lemon harder. And they're like, but there's so much we could go do. And they're like, stop it. Stay focused on this. Right. And, and from a career management standpoint, it's one of the best things in the world you can do is tell somebody is like, Hey, look, your job is to learn how to squeeze that lemon here and then move on. Just squeeze the lemon as best you can yeah. and then go back into your,
1: your natural a, thing. That's a great analogy. But of course, you and I both know that really successful companies have a, a balance of, of, of growth and abundance and, and pursuit and yeah. harvest simultaneously. Yes. And therefore, I think what you're saying is we need leaders that fit into both of those boxes in, in organizations.
2: You you do. And that's what takes us back to your original question, which is I try to understand what somebody's worldview is or perspective is as I'm talking with them. So case in point when they're like, Hey, I want to go do everything. Or we, they've got, you know, some pet project or something that they want to do. And it doesn't really fit. Then what I want to understand from them is what is it that's motivating them and driving them to do that? Like a lot of times mature operating companies struggle. They, they, they fall in love with the romanticism of a startup. Right. And they're like, Oh, we want this visionary aspect, but they don't want to treat a startup with the reckless abandon that's required for a startup to succeed.
1: Yeah. It's hard to like put the bureaucratic decision-making and red tape and all the other things that go along with, you know, success of a hundred year old company, you know, and, and, and make the, 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 the the skunk works operation adhere to those same rule, that rule structure.
2: Yeah. And, and, and that's where, you know, when you, if you apply a a harvest mindset operator and you say, hey, your job is to go drive this innovation. You're asking somebody to do something that's contrary to their DNA. And to a certain extent, unless, you know, and and here's the kicker, right? They've got to do that. But the best thing in the world they can do is hire somebody that's gifted with that capability in in terms of skills and mindset
1: Mm -hmm. and then trust them. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That Which is, yeah, which is hard. And you and, you know, the word empowerment is, you know, way overused for the last 20 or 30 years. But, you know, the truth is, that is absolutely necessary in this particular case. Because if you say to someone, hey, you're in this position, you can do this, go, you know, go explore. Yes. You know, and no, and and we know that you're you're gonna fail, you know, some whatever. But if you say that, and then, and you you <laughs> you and I and our listeners I know have experienced this, saying and doing is a different thing. And so a lot of times I've seen CEOs or leaders or others say that that's the case, and then the first failure then they want to pull the plug or they want to just, um, you know, question decision-making or delay it to the extent that, you know, somebody really, let's face it, they're not empowered.
2: Yeah. Well, and and I think, look, at the, at the end of the day, right. Our jobs are to drive growth um, and to increase value. And, you know, a mutual friend of ours, his, his favorite, thing that he's saying these days is leave it better than you found it
1: right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
2: and um and when I when I think about it from that standpoint you know the leave it better than I found it there's a lot of ways you can leave something better than you found it there's a dozen I mean there's there's hundreds there's thousands of ways you can leave something better than you found it Right. But we're stewards over these businesses that we have and we're responsible for these resources that we've been given, whether that's a as a small business owner or as the leader of a multinational, multi-billion dollar organization. And that's that's our job. And so when we when we come into it, it's important for those leaders to know how they're going to leave it better than they found it. Right? Is it going to be bigger? Is it going to be stronger? Because sometimes bigger is not better. Right, mm-hmm.
1: right, right, right. Definitely, definitely. Well, that is fascinating. So uh, let me pivot. Um, my my co-host Steve Miller would say um, pirouette because he he doesn't he doesn't like the word pivot. But um, so let's pirouette to um, to another topic. I have I have I have two questions, and you know that. I'm in the voice of customer business and I ask a lot of open ended questions. And this is, this one's going to be pretty much the most open ended question that is possible in the world of B2B marketing sales. Um, So if you think about your experience in this whole world that we work in and operate in, can you think of, Kind of a um, like a principle that you really believe in in B two B marketing and sales. That's just vital for success. Um, so we we know that vertical, you know, verticalization is one of them. And, and you that may be your answer and expand on it, whatever. But and I'm thinking in this particular case of a, almost like a traditional sort of principle that. Has always been around and will always be there, regardless of what's happening in the world and technology and changes and that kind of thing. It's just sort of basic principle. What, what do you what do you say to that? Like, what comes to mind as a, sort of like a guiding light for you that you could you would share? It's all about the
2: customer, right? I mean, at, at the end of the day, right? You've got to know who your customer is and what drives their economic engine and what drives their decision-making. If you don't know those things, it doesn't matter. Everything else, you could have the best product in the world and nobody's going to buy it. Cause they're not, it's not going to align with what they're trying to do. Um, and I, I think it that that's a core piece, right? It starts with the customer. Voice of customer is the way you get that. The way you collect voice of customer, as you know, there's hundreds of ways to do it, right? Yes, yep. And not, I don't, I believe those are all tools in the toolbox, and each one has its different time and place. And if you want to do a conjoint, or if you want to do a focus group, or if you want to do a discovery interview, or whatever, right? They all matter. Yes. But you've got to understand and look at the world through your customer's eyes. I think you have to do exactly what you're talking about. I don't think there's, you don't get rid of segmentation, right? Anytime soon, because it just makes, now, is there academic segmentation and inactionable segmentation that can happen? Absolutely. Right. There but just because somebody does something the wrong way or maybe unnecessarily doesn't mean that it's not valuable. It is critical to success, and the phrase I mentioned earlier—that's you know the flavor de jour for the past, I guess, you know, five or six years, right—is ICP or ideal customer profile. Well, okay, right. What's Yeah. Same. Say, say more about that. Yeah. So your ideal customer profile is let's say, um, let's arbitrarily pick a um, industrial tech manufacturer making I, I don't know um, some sort of sensors, right? And yep. and they're they're serving discrete manufacturers. Well, okay. If you start talking about discrete manufacturing as a customer base, right? There's tens of thousands. There's hundreds of thousands of companies that could fall into that. Right. But, All of a sudden, they've got some companies that are extremely profitable, that they grow with, that they do very, very well with. Um, And then if you double-click on that until you get down to what are the core elements around that, all of a sudden, let's fictitiously pick out. um, It's a uh, company that's making tires, right? A tire manufacturer. And you're like, wait, wait. We do extremely well with rubber-based companies. Okay, well, what well what type of, well they've got to have a footprint of you know a hundred thousand square foot under roof and they've got to be doing X tens of millions of dollars a month. Right. And oh, okay, now all of a sudden it's like, and when we work with them, we do exceedingly well. Great, that's an ideal customer profile, right? It takes your firmographics and your buyer demographics and your buyer behaviors and smashes those together. So this
1: isn't just persona, which we, which we all talk about a lot, right? This, this is uh if a company had a profile and then you're matching it up with the persona, then, then, yeah. then, then it's something like that. Um, our Steve, my podcast co-host calls calls them moose, you know, who's your moose and you know, a moose is, um, Is 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 a buyer or a person, but it also represents a a company. Like in other words, who are you really targeting? Who's your where's your sweet spot? We all have lots of names for it, Um, right? But but that's a that that that's that's very interesting. So you have to know. I think what I'm hearing is you have to know that ICP, that ideal customer profile, and then within that ideal customer. What makes them tick? What, yeah. what, are the, what are they all about? How are they making a profit? What are their hurdles or challenges to making a profit? And what are we doing to help them succeed? Yeah. So the, the easy
2: way to think about it from a framework perspective is going at a, at a large level, right? You've got a vertical Right. A major industrial vertical. And then you double click down on that and you go down to, you know, a sub segment and then you go to like a micro segment and then you've got an ideal customer profile that sits within that. Within that ideal customer profile, you're going to have multiple personas that are involved in that business from uh, and ideally, typically, there's three personas that will sit within that. Right at its most simplistic level, you're going to have a buyer, you're going to have a user, right, and and you're going to have. Um, why did I say three? But there's, well, there's maybe. Three, well,
1: right? I would say you know procurement as a buyer, depending on the size of the organization, the 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 user or operator. Oh, yeah. And then the, the 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 product, you know, there's a decision maker in the line organization that's not in procurement that's involved in, yeah, making that operation work.
2: Yeah, typically, and yeah, there's an executive decision maker, right? There's procurement, right? And then right. there's the user, right? right. And that's right. that's exactly it, right? Yeah, um, those are yeah. the three.
1: Yeah, and and so that's I think that's so interesting because basically what you're saying is like, take a magnifying glass <laughs> yes. and just keep going down and down and down to the cellular level here. And, uh, and, 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 and that's then where go, we want to live and do our marketing. So,
2: well, here's the crazy thing, right? Is by doing that, you go down to that level and then you say, okay, well, what is it? What's the commonality that makes, what's the secret sauce that makes us successful with this type of customer? Okay, great. Now let's go back up and let's look across the world or let's look within the the sub-segment and let's look within the segment and let's look within the vertical. Where are other customers that look like this? And then what you may find out is, to back to your very first question, you may be agnostic to verticals. Right. As you look at that ICP, it may not be vertical dependent.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because you're saying, like, you know, focus in, focus out. And uh, what I say um, is look for, I call them landmarks. So you're looking for, you're looking for um, data that sticks out, you know, that, you know, in your favor, uh, um, most potentially, but um, landmarks and then, patterns like threads. And then, and then there's a story. There's really a story to be told because there's a reason why we have a sweet spot. Every company, like why? Yes. Because you're, because honestly at the heart of every company, we are really, really good at something. And use us for a reason. And the, the reason they use us isn't necessarily like, the advertising jargon on our website or the 50 reasons that, you know, somebody lists out, you know, in, you know, some sell sheet or whatever. It's like what the customer tells you, Oh my gosh, they're, you know, you guys are really in the box on all this stuff, which is great. But I mean, your service, it's like, and the way they say it, I mean, it's usually pretty simple. <laughs> you yeah. Know?
2: Well, it was interesting, right? I was talking with a CMO for a very large, say, 20-ish billion dollar company recently. And they they were talking to me about something. They said, should we hire you to do X? And I was like, no, actually you shouldn't, right? And which is, mm-hmm. when do you tell somebody no? It's like, yeah. like, no, what you're trying to do, you need You need a specific provider that's going a type of provider and brand that's going to serve you in that capacity because your customer is your board, right? And essentially you're buying an insurance policy. And if you show up with my the vertical solutions is doing this work, they're all going to look at you a little crazy, right? But you probably should show up in that situation. Could you engage us? Absolutely, right? From a consultative perspective will be glad to help and and guide and everything else, but the what you show up to the board with in that situation, you probably are going to need something that more of a blue chip brand that is an
1: insurance policy for you, right? For uh, right, right, exactly. That's that's fascinating. Okay, so so if you think about like so my the answer to my question was. Uh, so my my original question was what's the one guiding principle that you think you know transcends time and technology and everything that you know in the world um to say you know hey if we don't do this um we we aren't going to be successful if we do do this we're going to be successful and that is um knowing the customer knowing who our best customers are, and then really knowing that customer and what makes them tick and how we're going to help them make them successful. So, so that's that. Now there's another side of a coin or, 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 um, a different aspect to this and that's, um, things do change. So in the world, so our economies change, um, uh, brands and products come in and out of, um style technologies change rapidly if you look at say the industrial revolution things were used uh, you know their horsepower i mean literally horsepower yes not engine horsepower horses and then there was electrification and uh, from steam and and gosh um they just thought to themselves oh what can we electrify, you know, like, and it was literally everything, anything you can think of. Right? Yes. And then, you know, another example would be say um, when the internet, you know, really exploded, yep. you know, what can you, what can you link, you know? And the answer was pretty much anything. And first movers were really, really successful. Um, So, my second question, the over sort of similar to the next was like if if that was a traditional sort of element, what would be enough? What would be something future oriented that you know we've got to nail to be successful in your in your mind? AI, AI,
2: AI, absolutely. It is. It, 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 look it, for me. That's that's a layup of an answer right now, and I, I hope it's not overly simplistic or you know the the flavor of the moment. But it is. I think, and just the way you went through those different um, periodic instances of disruption, right from a historical perspective, with through the Industrial Revolution and then the tech revolution and whatnot. I think AI is experiencing that type of growth and disruption as we speak right now, uh, it's, it's at a multiplicative, uh, exponential disruptive capability at like, as we're talking, I, I, 15 minutes before we got on the call, I was doing some research and what, what people are doing with AI that they're bolting AI on top of AI on top of AI. And it's, it's creating, uh, a learning capability around large LLM, large language management capabilities with technical capabilities at the same time. And it's just going to rock our worlds
1: Mm -hmm. from, -hmm. from a
2: marketing standpoint. But the, but the other piece of it is what we've got to recognize is just like, you know, the steam engine, right. And the locomotive disrupted transportation, right. And, it, and you know, the steam engine and ships, putting a steam engine on ships with a propeller and a wheel and whatnot disrupted the shipbuilding industry at one point. AI is disruptive, It's it's a, but it is a tool, right? And so if you learn to harness it and get ahead of it and understand where that tool fits in our toolbox, it's no different than what the calculator did to the slide. Right?
1: It's yeah. Yeah. So, so if you do, you think everybody's thinking of it as a as a tool that way? I have no idea. Oh, no. Well, as a
2: matter of fact, I know people are not
1: right. Like if you
2: talk to people in academia, and that's not necessarily our audience, they're freaking out. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. It's the, it's the beginning of the end. This is the dystopian uh, uh, future that everybody that science fiction told us about. And, yeah. you know, basically it's a uh, downward from here. There, there's a
2: product called Cactus AI,
1: okay. right? Yep. It's it's specifically
2: designed for the academic world. And this is the ultimate irony to me. And, and schools are coming out and telling their students you shouldn't use it. They've got this thing where it will help students on their homework. It will okay. do their homework, help them do their homework, teach them the whole nine yards. But they've got a totally different product, which is, for teachers. It will build lessons plan, lesson plans, build tests and quizzes, build all of these capabilities. And then it sells, it sells to students the ability to answer the work that the teachers built on cactus, right? So all that you've got is cactus AI talking to cactus AI, right? It's a theory in a vacuum world while the students and the teachers are all making nice.
1: Oh my gosh. Wow, somehow we still have to can we we can't forget about l- actual learning in any of this. Um but you but you are you're right. I mean, who knows exactly uh, how AI is going to be incorporated in in a lot of products and services uh and maybe it'll be everything just the way, you know, um some of these other things have been um and we don't really know the outcome of it because it is kind of early days but it does have those um those <laughs> sort of signs that this is this is not a you know like v- so v- virtual reality and meta yeah right so i think that's a good comparison because that's someone who someone i'm actually literally saying like a person decided oh this, you know, this technology is going to, you know, go somewhere. So I'm going to voice this on the public, and it's it may be sort of cheesy, and we may be scrapping around for for um, you know use cases now. But trust trust us, this is going to be the next best thing, and I'm going to invest twenty billion dollars in it, um, et cetera, et cetera, or more versus this like as in like chat gpt just to pull one example out which you know it has the, that and these other tools have the highest adoption rate the fastest adoption rate of of literally any technology in the history of the world
2: yeah well and it, it yes and part of it right it's for right a reason times. for a yeah. reason
1: because it's oh. not just playing around People from day one were using it to support real tasks in their jobs. Oh yes, yeah, In fact, right. in fact, and this is this is young people too. Um, in fact, it's probably more young people who are more open minded about this. But um, so I was on TikTok last night, and uh, this video comes up, and it's a I would say thirty year old young woman. And, you know, obviously a lot of people think TikTok is, oh, it's like, you know, uh, people, you know, dancing or doing whatever, you know, you know, but there's a lot of business oriented stuff on there. And this person was, was teaching people, viewers, how to write prompts for AI that will help them with their marketing. And it was about segmentation. And she was teaching here's exactly, and she was showing this, here's the language you used to need to use in the prompt. And the and and then the tool will give you a competitor comparison of your products versus the competitions and give you, you know, um advice on how to differentiate your own product and what to say about it.
2: So here's a f-
1: interesting thing. So I had a guest. Pretty wild. That's not that. playing around. That's not like going into, oh, I'm gonna go into some v- VR, you know, sort of chat room and sort of have fun, even though I don't have like the bottom half of my body. And no, it's real. It's yeah. it's
2: very real. So I, I had a guest on on my podcast a couple of weeks ago, and it, it should be coming out soon. Is his name's Ben Miller and he's got a an AI tool that they built, right? And essentially what they did was they put API hooks into chat GPT and three or four other, uh, other AI tools. And they they're smashing together the capability of those different tools. And it's for marketers. It's pure, it's completely for marketers. And Mm. the does, but here was the thing. He said, look, it doesn't displace our brain. And this is the most important piece of it. He said, because AI has three failure modes. And he said, you've got to know these three always. He said, it will make up statistics. It will just randomly make up statistics because it's, it's following a language sequence. And it says, oh, a statistic goes in here. It's uh-huh. not going out and scraping the web to find that information. It just randomly puts a number in that it thinks is compelling. Really? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, so if you're if you're using an AI tool to do this right, and you see a statistic number in there, you you got to go check it,
1: right? Okay. It, okay. So that's one failure that's, mode or whatever. What? Yeah.
2: The other is it will randomly make up facts.
1: <laughs> what you th- what what seem like facts? It, yeah.
2: it re- reads like a fact. It sounds like a fact. It's it. But again, it's he said. It, look, what you've got to know with its LLM, right, large language management tools, is think back to, you know, when you're on your phone, when it first started coming up with word prompts for you, right? It, you know, you're typing on yes, your phone. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. It's like, Auto oh, fill. this is the next word, the next word, the next word. Said so at its core, that's what LLM AI is, is it's it's running a statistical probability of what the next word would be in the sequence.
1: Yeah.
2: Right? And so what will happen is it will create what they call AI hallucinations. Mm. And it, it'll just go down a track. And all of a sudden you said, you're reading this. And it's like, wait, where did this go? And it was because it glitched and it started following a prompt in the wrong direction.
1: Right? Right, right, right. In, in, interesting. That's, that's fascinating. So back to the, your answer about like what's new? And what's going to be a new sort of like guiding, light principle going forward. And whereas like sort of traditionally and maybe forever at the base level, non-technology is customer, knowing your customer. Yeah. Know your customer. And then something new completely on top of that, not not supplanting that, like we still have to know our customer. Actually, could we use AI to know our customer better? Yes. In oh, other yeah. words, can we use this new technology to help us accomplish what's, you know, what's I, needed to be successful?
2: I do every day. Mm-hmm. I use AI, all, not every day, but I use it multiple times a week. Sometimes multiple times a day to learn more about and about my customer in different ways.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Can you give an example? No. <laughs> That's funny. That's yeah. funny. So, um, I use it as a search engine now instead of Google. Yeah, because what Google will do is give me it won't give me the answer. It's actually starting to subtly, um, which is not a coincidence. Um, but um, you know, it, it gives you a list of things and I'm going to have to click through the list and then I'm going to have to like go and find it myself inside it whereas uh, you know, AI tools are going to actually give me the answer I'm looking for faster. Yes. Yes. Write it out for me. And I don't need, you know, if I want to know the reference, I can ask, Oh, what's the reference. Um, and I, and maybe they can make, give me the answer, but
2: no, that that's, that's spot on. And, and to go back and answer your question. Yeah. I, what i typically will do is i'll put prompts in when i'm trying to understand something about my customers problem their cust- my customers customer or something like that and i'm i'm serving them and it makes me smarter on their products their customers their markets those types of things it just because it works at such an accelerated speed right it's i i get smarter faster
1: well and what's wrong with that I mean, um, so let's just play around with this idea for a second, because when you say it's a tool, okay, well, um, you know, let's say it's like 1500, uh, 1,600 or 1,700, okay, and I'm a business person and I need to learn about something and I decide to go to a library and you know i know how to read and i go to the library and i spend a week or two at the library or multiple libraries trying to find something out and i do learn it and i do learn something and it takes me a long time but i learn it and then um and then i you know maybe i tell my client you know hey th- i this is the way it is where Where'd you find that out well i went to the library and i found out or i did this research and i found out okay that sounds great well um, you know, in the '90s or the you know first part of this century, you know, well, we went to the internet, right, to find something out, and you know, we were cautioned, well, just be careful about Wikipedia because there's errors, blah blah blah. Well, it, it's just it's a library, right? It's 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 just information. We still had to put a screen and think about it, and but it helped us get that information faster. Now, what's the difference between that? I want to get smarter about something. This is something helping us learn faster. So unless it's like inherently actually wrong information. Right. Then then if you just have a little bit of like sort of check or skepticism, you know, just um, clarity, but that's the way it's going to be. Right. We haven't, we always done that. We've just had tools to, you know, to make us smarter.
2: Yeah well and and that's that's the piece that you can't displace and that's where i think schools as they go forward and and, and frankly speaking even us as marketers as you go forward you're n- you're never going to displace the importance and the responsibility of us as humans making decisions right and and the all all that goes into that so case in point just like if you give a 2 year old a calculator that what are they going to be able to do with it, right? Are they going to be able to solve advanced math problems? No, they're not, right? If you give a, a sixth grader a calculator, they're going to be able to do more, but they're still not going to be able to do certain certain capabilities that somebody with, you know, a PhD in applied math is going to be able to do, right? And so it's it's much the same thing. It's it's that tool, and just like, you know, if you're okay, I, I don't ever, don't dismiss the power of the tool in the same way that you don't dismiss when you walk out into an auto shop and you hear somebody using power tools, right? They can take a bolt off in two seconds. Hey, than that's moving. cheating.
1: That's cheating. You're not using a hand wrench.
2: Exactly,
1: Right? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Do it the old fashioned way. Come on, put some elbow grease into it and then get repetitive stress syndrome. Um, So, yes. So look on that note, um, we could probably keep talking for a long time, but let's, uh, I I think we'll, we'll wrap it up. I want to thank you. Um, Mike McCallie has been our guest here. Thank you, Mike. Um, Mike, you can find Mike on um, LinkedIn at Mike McCallie, M-C-C-A-L-L-E-Y. And uh, Vertical Solution, look them up. And uh, the Get Vertical podcast, which you will be able to find by the time you hear this, it will be live. It's a new podcast. And I guarantee it's going to be fantastic. And uh, thank you, Mike, for your wisdom. And, uh, you know, just the great conversation. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. I really appreciate being here and excited. All right. Well, you have all been listening to. I always have this incredible takeout of the B two B marketing and sales podcast with Dave Loomis and, in this case, not Steve Miller. Uh, we miss Steve, um, but uh, we are we are we're mixing it up a little bit. So we're doing some solo stuff. We're doing some listener interviews, and we're going to do our our same old, same old. So. Uh, Thanks, everybody, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the one and only B2B Marketing and Sales Podcast. The source for B2B Marketing and Sales Insight. If you enjoyed the podcast, please be sure to subscribe and leave these old guys a five star rating. Check the show notes for any links and contact information. You can always contact us by going to B2BMarketingSalesPodcast.com. b Thank you and keep on marketing. Keep on selling.